Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Today we're going to be covering part two of chapter nine of the teachings and the doctrine of eternal lives. The title of this chapter is Eternal Progression, Eternal Lives. In the first part, we covered the Old Testament, the New Testament, Joseph Smith's writings, Brigham Young, uh, John Taylor, Wilfred Woodruff, Lorenzo Snow, and others. This one we're starting with Erastus Snow, so let's get into the reading. Erastus Snow said, We are in a state of progression, very small beginnings, but onward and upward for a more exalted sphere in which they move, but I conceive of no stopping place. I conceive of no absolute resting place, but only as before remarked, a change, a change in our circumstances and conditions, and consequently a change in our labors. I speak now as man, as an immortal being, having no reference to this earthly house of our tabernacles. For this mortal house, which we occupy for the period of a few short years upon the earth, will not be associated with the immortal man, the God in embryo. The clothing we wear covers the nakedness of our body. It answers a good purpose for a little season, until it becomes worn out and is cast aside as of no further use for that purpose. So with the outer house of our tabernacles, it is this spirit that keeps the function of this tabernacle in motion. When the spirit leaves the body, it is either because the Father calls it away, wishing to use it in another sphere, considering the time it has spent in this tabernacle sufficient for the purpose required, and therefore takes it to a higher school through special design to do a special work. Or it may be it has used it, that it has used its tabernacle until it is so worn out that it has become like a bow which has been long and constantly bent. It has lost its elasticity, its bones impaired in strength, its muscles stiffened, and the whole frame ready like our old clothes to be thrown aside and the spirit comes to the conclusion that it has its run of this old tabernacle and that it is time this old garment were laid aside for a new one. Journal of Discourses, Volume 21, pages 23, 24, and 25. Joseph Smith, this is Erastus Snow, by the way. Hold on here. Okay, sorry about that. Joseph Smith, this is Erastus Snow. Joseph Smith said that the faithful elders of Israel, when their labors in the flesh are completed, then they rest from those labors they leave behind, while their spirits are still active upon another class of labor in the spirit world. They rest from earthly labors and 
pursue spiritual labors which will qualify them to go on to higher degrees of glory and soar in loftier regions of intelligence. I have thus a short endeavored, in short, endeavored to present before the people not a new doctrine to them, but unto many of the rising generation these passages of Scripture may not be understood. Their minds cannot be familiar with these reasons upon which the work of the dead is founded, upon the principles which our faith is founded in relation to the work of the redemption of the dead. I therefore bring these thoughts home to the minds of the rising generation, as well as the more aged and possibly strangers in our midst who are uninformed, and to whom this doctrine is miraculous marvelously strange and that is recorded in brian h stoy's collected discourses uh, five volumes and it is recorded in volume one page 71 and 72. franklin d richard stated having now observed how adam the first man became god we inquire why may not millions of his children receive the same godlike knowledge and power. The apostles, prophets, and seers who have lived on the earth since the days of Adam have been a succession of intelligences who, by doing the will of the Father, receive of his glory and become the heirs of his increasing dominions. God saw that among his numerous posterity of spirits, there were some more noble than others, and therefore capable of assuming greater responsibilities and performing more important parts in the great work of redemption. These he foreordained and set apart to the work destined for them, and at the time appointed they appeared on the earth through the lineage of the priesthood, having been ordained in the spirit and being heirs according to the flesh, they came forth prepared to enter upon the work designed, inherit the fruits thereof, and partake of the same glory and exaltation as the Father. First among these noble sons stands the Lord Jesus Christ, the heir by birthright of his Father's kingdom. He has proved himself worthy of his high vocation, by nobly offering to become the sacrifice that was necessary for the redemption of his father's family. Therefore, on him the father has bestowed the keys of salvation and the powers of the resurrection to unlock the gates of death. On him devolved the great crowning work of redemption and the myriad of time was appointed for that sacrifice. This same Jesus was a man like unto other men, and attained his exaltation by suffering all things, that he might overcome them, and has ascended to power at the right hand of the Father. Next to Jesus Christ is the scale of godlike intelligence are his brethren, holy men who have faithfully performed the work assigned them in their Father's kingdom and have received the fruits of their labor as an everlasting inheritance, and thereby become an heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. 
These men move and act independent of all others in their sphere and are responsible to none but Jesus Christ who sent them. The Lord has seen fit in these days to raise the veil a little, which obscures our vision a little, by revealing to us the portion now occupied by some of those ancient worthies who lived on the earth previous to his coming. In a revelation given to the prophet Joseph Smith on celestial marriage, the Lord speaking to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob says, And because they did none other thing than that which they were commanded, they have entered into their exaltations according to the promises and sit upon thrones, and are not angels but are gods, all who live on the earth and faithfully work righteousness, as did those ancient fathers, will receive like blessings of power and dominion, for God is no respecter of persons, but judges all men righteously according to their works. Thus we have a succession of gods from Adam down to Christ, and his apostles at least, all men being in the image of the father Adam, even as he is in the image of his father and possessing a similar knowledge of good and evil, when they receive the keys and powers of the same priesthood and by their works attain to its blessings, they will, like Adam, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, bear rule and dominion over their own posterity and have power to redeem, purify, and exalt them also, to like power and glory, unquote. Franklin D. Richards is recorded in the Millennial Star, volume 17, page 194 and one, through 196. Franklin D. Richards also stated, A multitude of our kindred dead await us and our labors here to know when they can go and tell them what we have done for them here in the flesh that they rejoice with us, may contemplate the glorious anticipations when they will come rising from the dead triumphant and rise unto the labors and blessings of the more extended work, which they are now resting from, resting their wearied mortalities, the spirits that never dies, that has life and eternal vigor and bloom is relieved from these cumbrous clods of clay and can look and behold and can hear can again hear and contemplate the labor to the extent that we know not of in this life we this afternoon partake of the sacrament of the lord's supper it is a subject for us to crown the final labors of our conference with When we contemplate our existence here, our existence in the other lives, before we came and from whence we go, we have to bear in mind the one great central figure of this world's existence and character and honor and power. That comes from, uh, as recorded in Brian H. Stoy's Collected Discourses. Volume 1, page 84. Jedediah M. Grant stated, He said to me, Brother Heber, I have been into the spirit world two nights in succession, 
And of all the dreads that I have came across that have come across me, the worst was to have was to have to again return to my body, though I had to do it. But oh says he, the order and government that were there. When in the spirit world I saw the order of righteous men and women, beheld them organized in their several grades, and there appeared to be no obstruction to my vision. I could see every man and woman in their grade and order. I looked to see whether there was any disorder there, but there was none. Neither could I see any death nor any darkness, disorder or confusion. He said that the people he, he there saw were organized in family capacities, and when he looked at them, he saw grade after grade, and all were organized in a perfect harmony. He would mention one item after another and say why it is just as Brother Brigham says it is. It is just as he has told us many a time. Heber C. Kimball, quoting, uh, let's see, Jedediah M. Grant, as noted in Mormon Thunder, page 248. See also Journal of Discourses, volume 4, page 135 and 136. George Q. Cannon stated, The Lord our God is working with us. He is trying us, probably with the trials of a new sort that he may have approved us in every respect. If we have set out to obtain celestial glory, the precious and unestimable gift of eternal lives, there is no trial necessary for our purification and perfection as saints of God that we will not have to meet contend with and overcome. Such trials will come in various shapes on the right hand and on the left, whether they be in having everything moved on prosperously or in adversity, hardship, and laying down our lives for the truth until the design is fully accomplished and the dross of our nature is purified and these earthly tabernacles are redeemed from everything that is groveling and low and brought into entire subjection to the mind and will of God. End quote that was given in Journal of Discourses, volume 10, page 346 through 347, and was recorded on October 23, 1864. George Q. Cannon, Gospel Truth, Discourses and Writings of President George Q. Cannon, selected and arranged and edited by Gerald N. Lindquist, Salt Lake City Deseret Book, page 527. Continuing on with Jedediah M. Grant, it was necessary that a probation should be given to man. The courts of heaven were thronged with spirits that desired tabernacles. They wanted to come and come and obtain fleshly tabernacles as their father had done. Their progenitors the race of gods with whom they associated and from whom they have descended had had the privilege of coming on earthly probations and receiving tabernacles which by obedience they had been able to redeem. Hence I say the courts of heaven were thronged with spirits anxious to take upon themselves tabernacles of flesh 
agreeing to come forth and be tested and tried in order that they might receive exaltation. Unquote. George Q. Cannon, Gospel Truths, Discourses and Writings of President George Q. Cannon, selected and arranged and edited by Gerald L. Lindquist, page 21. Continuing on, we are the children of God, and as his children, he desires to make us like himself, to attain to the same glory and enter upon the same career of progression and exaltation that he has entered upon. Therefore, it is necessary in his wisdom and according to the laws of exaltation that we should descend from our heavenly abode and come here and take upon us mortal tabernacles and forget all that we knew. The reason of this is that we should be tempted, that we should be tried, that we should be purified and that the dross of our nature should be cleansed by obedience to the laws of God and that by obedience to to his laws, these tabernacles which we have received and which belong to this fallen world may be redeemed and be lifted and prepared to dwell in the higher and purer abode. In an element that is far beyond anything that we know anything of at the present time, these tabernacles of ours, which are so full of humanity and its weaknesses, God has given unto us, and he has told us how we can redeem them by obeying the laws he has taught. But some will say, why, if God is all-powerful, does he not restrain the devil, and why does he allow him to afflict the children of men? The reason is found in the fact that these things are necessary. It is necessary that we should, that we should be tempted that we should be tried, that we should be purified by going through these trials and passing through this furnace of affliction, which this life furnishes. Now, there is some of you probably that have had disagreeable missions to perform in your life. Some of you perhaps have had afflictions. I think there are some here who have been in a penitentiary for carrying out the principles of our religion. You have passed through many severe ordeals. Let me ask you, you men of experience and you women of experience, is it not a fact that those scenes which were the most trying to you and the hardest to bear at the time you have been the most profitable to you? Do you not look back to them and feel that they have been the most fruitful in experience to you and the most beneficial also in the lessons that they have taught you. I know this is my experience. I look back to the disagreeable parts of my life, that is, the parts that were thought to be disagreeable at the time, and I say to myself, I thank God that I had these things to contend with. And looking back at these at these are those scenes i am convinced that they have been the most profitable to me the experience was unpleasant at the time i would have shunned it if i could have in my own way because human nature shrinks from trials and afflictions 
Human nature desires an easy path to tread. It wants to go with the stream, to float with the current. We therefore avoid the hardships of life if we can. But after we have passed through these trying scenes and endured these afflictions, we look back at them and are thankful and say they they have been more fruitful and profitable experience to us than any other scenes that we have passed through. This is not only the case in relation to parts of our lives, it is the case in relation to the whole of our lives. When we have passed through this probation, if we have been faithful, we shall look back at all we have experienced and thank God with all of our hearts that he permitted us to come on the earth and have have the opportunities we have had of showing our fidelity to God, our willingness to keep his commandments, our determination that we should not be seduced from the path of obedience and rectitude by the blandishments and the temptations of Satan. It is necessary, I say, to exaltation that we should pass through these scenes. Some there are who will fail, but the failure will not produce an everlasting or will not produce everlasting damnation. There will be, as the Lord says, few who will walk in the straight and narrow path that leadeth, leadeth unto lives eternal. End quote. And that is recorded in Brian H. Stoy's Collected Discourses, Volume 2, page 144 and 145. Continuing on, I believe that the religion of the Latter-day Saints shows in the plainest and the simplest and in the most conclusive manner the relation of man to God. I do not know any other religion that teaches in the satisfactory manner the object that God has had in placing man upon this earth. I do not know any other religion that teaches concerning the relationship that existed between God and his children prior to the organization of this earth and and placing man upon it. I do not know any other religion that professes to teach the relationship that will exist between man and woman, between parent and children, and between husband and wife after this mortal career is ended. I do not know of any other religion that gives any distinct idea as to the character of the life beyond the grave, or what shall continue what shall constitute the glory of man when he becomes immortal and when he receives the fullness of the blessings that God has promised. I do not know any other religion that throws light upon these questions, but I do know that there exists a present time among men a great deal of uncertainty upon all of these points. Some even go so far and they call themselves intelligent to as to uh, as to doubt the future existence of man and think that when this mortal career is finished that is the end of man as a living entity 
Now who is there? With the light that is possessed by this by the religions religious world that can explain in a satisfactory manner how it was that Jesus our Redeemer, in whose name we approach the Father, exists as God in a previous state. That is, that he existed and exercised power and dominion and then became a little child born of a mortal woman. Is there any religion on the earth that can give any explanation to this great event? I have not met with with any religion that will answer satisfactorily questions that arise connecting with the pre-existence and the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But it is supposed to be clothed in a mystery, a mystery that cannot be explained, and that is beyond human keen. And if inquiries arise, it is suppressed, because it is considered almost blasphemous to think of such things. So it is with most of these questions that I have briefly alluded to. End quote. And that's uh, recorded in Brian H. Stoy's Collected Discourses, Volume 3, page 168 and 169. If, brethren and sisters, you want to be happy, you must cultivate happiness within yourselves. You may say, well, if I can only attain the celestial glory, I think my desires will be fully gratified. There is no danger but that you will be, that you will reach it. If you do right, because you are on the path of progression, you will receive that for which you are qualified and fitted and no more. Qualify yourselves for the society of angels and of God the Eternal Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will reach it just as sure as you as you live. You will go on from one degree to another, and you will receive all that you live for. You will receive rewards for everything that you do, no matter what it may be. If it is if it is only in the cause of righteousness and you receive punishment for your evil deeds. There is no favoritism with the Lord. He rewards every man according to his works. Your progress and advancement in the kingdom of God and towards the glory of God depends on yourselves. Of course, when I say that, I mean with God's blessings upon you and his acceptance of your labors. I do not mean that it makes no difference whether the Lord blesses us or not. But in progression of the kingdom of God depends upon our own obedience and faithfulness in keeping the commandments of God. The man that lives up to the light that God has given to him to the very best of his ability will grow and increase will add light to light knowledge to knowledge and power to power until he be prepared to enter into the rest of god the woman or the child that does the same will receive a like blessing for god is a god of justice and he fulfills his words and promises and we need not be afraid End quote, and that's recorded in Brian H. Stoy's Collected Discourses, 
volume 4, page 16. Continuing on, God has selected all of us to attain to this glory. If we will take the course that he has marked out for its attainment, he has pointed out the way as plainly before us as this isle is before me, which is which in now in which we should walk. He has told us what to do and warned us of the dangers that be, that beset our pathway and which we must guard against in order to attain to the end in in view. All right, and that's in Collected Discourses, Volume 4, page 311. Continuing on, there is a different grades of glory. Some attain to a more exalted glory. They must help those who are lower to rise up to their plane. Then there is another degree below them, and they must labor to lift those who are lower than they. Thus we can go on, every man in his sphere and in his glory, endeavoring to lift up others to his height until eternity will be filled with our labors in this direction, progressing from one degree of glory to another without end, because there is no end to eternity, no end to glory, and as we progress, our course Of course, our capacity becomes enlarged. This will be our heaven. It will be the work in which God is engaging, in which Jesus is engaged. For as I have said, he forsook the mansions of glory to save us. It was so great and glorious a labor that in it he felt compassionate, uh, compensated, for leaving heaven and coming to earth. And if we have his spirit, we will feel as he does in relation to this. And we shall go on from one degree perfecting of perfection to another, advancing as our Father in heaven advances, for there is progress for our Father and for our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no such thing as standing still in the eternal work of our God. It is endless, progress progressing from one degree of knowledge to another degree. Thus the children of men will be continually exalted and drawn up towards God. Of course, I do not refer to those who commit the unpardonable sin, who are the sons of perdition, but all others will have the opportunity of progress and of repentance. That is the great word of repentance. That is the great word, repentance. If they will only repent of their sins, God will wash them out. He tells us that through, though our sins be as scarlet, they shall be made white as wool. If we will only repent, that is the greatest cry that the elders of the church are commanded to give unto the inhabitants of the earth. For by means of repentance and obedience to the ordinances which God has revealed, salvation is assured. End quote, and that is recorded in Collected Discourses, Volume 5, page 374. Now going on to another uh, individual, Joseph F. Smith, who was the sixth president of the church, I believe. 
He stated, I believe that our Savior is the ever-living example to all flesh in these things. He no doubt possesses a foreknowledge of all the vicissitudes through which he would have to pass in the mortal tabernacle. If Christ knew beforehand, so did we. Gospel Doctrine, page 13. Joseph F. Smith also went on to say, I want to to announce that this lady, Lucy Walker Smith, is a wife of the prophet Joseph Smith, who was sealed to him in his lifetime and lived with him and his wife in Nauvoo. Lucy Walker Smith said she wished to relate one incident in the life of the prophet Joseph Smith that was deeply impressed upon her mind in relation to sealing. On one occasion in the winter of 1830, in a prayer meeting held at Father Joseph Smith's, the prophet arose to speak, and after speaking a few words, he set his eyes upon some object and remained silent for a few moments. And finally he became beautifully transfigured in appearance. Then turning from his silence, he said, Do you know who that was with us tonight? Someone presented an answer. Yes, an angel. He said nothing till Martin Harris spoke, saying, I know that Jesus Christ, our Savior, has been in our midst. Yes, said the prophet. God has revealed this to thee, Martin. He said further, brethren, sisters, do you know that the Lord has been in our midst tonight? And he has given me a commandment that I that I seal you up unto eternal lives. And he has given you all to me, to be with me in my kingdom, as Jesus is in his Father's kingdom. This is a principle that was given in that early day. <clears throat> and more has been revealed in detail about it since. That's as uh, written in Collected Discourses. Volume 5, page 32. Francis M. Lyman stated, Now I do not think there are any misgivings in in the hearts of the Latter-day Saints this morning in regard to what President Woodruff has said to us concerning the doctrine which he has taken occasion to puncture. That is, that the spirit of any man now in this probation had been on the earth in a former age, in another body. That doctrine ought to have laid still a score of years ago. But when a false doctrine is put forth, some unwary person takes hold of it, and then some aspiring individual later on in life adopts it as his view. It may be that it savors a little of the mysterious and some people delight in getting hold of something of that kind, that they may talk of it in private, if not in public, and arouse the curiosity of others. Thus it spreads. Each one says to himself, I wonder if this is not something that will turn out to be sound doctrine. It may be put forth a little early, But after a while, I think it will be found to be sound doctrine. This is how they delude themselves. There is so much truth that is plain and simple and easy to be understood by the children 
end by the saints, however weak and feeble they may be, that it is a foolish thing for men to indulge in the speculative theories. End quote. Collected Discourses, Volume 1, page 266. Going on to Heber J. Grant, who was the seventh president for the LDS Church, he said, We are living eternal lives, every one of us, and I want to leave my testimony with you that I do know that as I know that I live. President Heber J. Grant, Improvement Era, 1945, Volume... I have no idea how to say it. It's in Roman numerals. It says X-I-V-I-I-I. So 38, I guess. June 1945, Volume 6. All right. This is from Rudger Clausen. Apostle J.H. Smith made some remarks respecting men betraying the confidence of the brethren, saying he thought some steps ought to be taken to guard against such things. President Snow said in reply, he thought the only way it could be done would be by giving men new bodies and eliminating all the material of which they are present at present composed. And this comes from a ministry of meeting, the Apostolic Diaries of Rudkirk Clausen, page 32. Let me see where I'm at here. All right. George Albert Smith stated, I want to say to many of you that I know personally, I can never repay your kindness and helpfulness to me in many ways. I say never. I say I I can't do it in this life, but I believe that we are living eternal lives, and perhaps some of these failures here may be remedied hereafter. And this is recorded in President George Albert Smith's conference report, and he was the eighth president of the church, I believe, afternoon meeting, page 181. George Albert Smith also said, What a blessed thing it is to know that we are living eternal lives. What what a wonderful thing it would be if all the people in the world knew that they were living eternal lives. President George Albert Smith, Conference Report, October 1946, Afternoon Meetings, page 149. He went on to say, our missionaries are out in the world today trying to explain these things to the learned and other men of the world. And there are many learned men who have access to all these books who do not believe in God, who do not know that we are living eternal lives, but have an idea that when we die, that is the end of everything. Yet in the comparatively small organization known as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, there are thousands of men and women and some children who know that we are the children of our Heavenly Father, that we are here and now living eternal lives, that the gospel and the power of God unto salvation to all those who will believe and obey is on the earth, 
All you have to do is to search the scriptures perfectly. Go where they may be explained to you. Seek the truth and beauty of the truth will appeal to you. And perhaps without much of an effort on your part, I am sure without giving away all your property, you can know as I know that God lives that Jesus is the Christ and that Joseph Smith is the prophet of the living God and that we are eternal, eternal, living, eternal lives. President George Albert Smith Conference Report, October 1948, Afternoon Meeting, pages 165 and 166. Orson F. Whitney stated, June 3rd, 1889. This evening I heard that President Woodruff in a meeting at Manti a few days ago publicly declared the doctrine of reincarnation. That is one spirit having several bodies to be false. That he was Wilfred Woodruff and that no one else and no one else. All right, Brother Woodruff, if you really said it, It is between you and the Lord. I believe it to be true doctrine and have for the last a word was cut out of the entry years. So, is this Orson F. Whitney? Let me see here. Yep, Orson F. Whitney believed in reincarnation or multiple mortal probations. Anyway, that comes from the diary of Orson F. Whitney June 3rd, 1889. Let's see here. Also, this is from the Diary of Orson F. Whitney. 8th of June, 1889. During our talks, he, Lorenzo Snow, told me that his sister, the late Eliza R. Snow Smith, was a firm believer in the principle of reincarnation that she claimed to have received it from the prophet Joseph Smith, her husband. He said he saw nothing unreasonable in it and could believe it if if it came to him from the Lord or his oracle. And that's from the Diary of Orson F. Whitney, June 8th, 1889. Orson F. Whitney also went on to say, And the glorious thought of the resurrection comes like a balm to our sorrowing spirits. For we have received the promise that through our bodies, or that though our bodies are laid away in Mother Earth for a season, they shall come forth clothed upon with immortality and eternal life, that though we die, we shall live again, even as the sun which sets arises on the morrow with a greater and brighter luster. We have this hope within us, for God has implanted it or implanted it there. This is what confront or comforts us to know that this life is only one among many scenes through which we have passed, and though and through which we will pass in the future. And that comes that's recorded in collected discourses. Volume 1, page 13. He goes on to say, Mormonism, be it true or false, holds out to men 
the greatest inducements that human mind can grasp. It takes the hum- humblest child of God and tells him that he is a son of God, or if a woman, that she is a daughter of God, and teaches them that they can buy growth, by development, by progress and expansion, ascend to those heights where sits enthroned in glory of the God of this universe. It teaches men that they can be uh, become divine, that man is God in embryo, and that God was once a man in mortality, and that the only difference between gods and angels and men is the difference in education and development. Is such a religion to be sneered at? It teaches that the worlds on high and the stars that glitter in the blue vault of heaven are kingdoms of God, that they were once earths like this, that they have been redeemed and glorified by the same laws, the same principles that are applied to this planet and by which we will ascend to the perfected and glorious state. It teaches that these worlds are peopled with human beings, God's sons and daughters, and that every husband and father may become an Adam and every wife a mother and and mother and Eve to some future planet. It teaches that all men will be saved except a certain few who are the sons of perdition. And that's recorded in Collected Discourses, Volume 4, page 3. 336 and 337. Continuing on, this great movement nicknamed Mormonism is like a mighty tidal wave rolling up the beach of history, destined to make a higher ripple mark than any wave that has preceded it. Joseph Smith taught men to look up to heaven and conceive of a God in the form of a man. He taught them that they could become like their father in God, who was an exalted man, and that is more simple and reasonable. Don't don't you parents expect your children to become like you? Or do you expect your children to be something else than men and women? No, you man will see your sons become men, and you women will see your daughters become women. Then God our Father, yes, and our Mother in heaven, looking down upon this world, this schoolhouse in which their children are being educated, expect, and Joseph Smith taught it as a truth, that their children will be exalted if they pursue the proper course, until they shall become divine beings themselves, worthy to stand upon that plain where stands their Father and their Mother in heaven. Like begets light, and the principles of eternal progress will make of make of man a god. Joseph Smith also taught the great principle of universal salvation. The gospel of Jesus Christ saves all men, but saves them according to their merits in different degrees in different degrees of, of glory. And that comes from collected discourses. Volume 5, page 431. Continuing on, The earth upon which we dwell is only one among many creations of God. 
The stars that glitter in the heavens at night and give light unto the earth are his creations, redeemed worlds and perhaps worlds that are passing through their course of their redemption, being saved and purified, glorified and exalted by obedience to the principles of truth which we are now struggling to obey. Thus is the work of our Father made perpetual. And as fast as one world and its inhabitants are disposed of, he will roll into another existence. He will create another earth and he will people it with his offspring, the offspring of the gods in eternity. And they will pass through probations such as we are in now passing through, that we may prove their in, their integrity by their works, that they may that they may give an assurance to the Almighty that they are worthy to be exalted through obedience to those principles, that unchangeable plan of salvation which has been revealed to us. Journal of Discourses, Volume 26, page 196. Deep down fundamentally, what was it that brought about the death of the Apostle Paul and the death of the Prophet Joseph Smith? The fundamental reason was this. They were servants of God and Satan wanted them out of the way. They stood as lions in the path and were building up God's kingdom in his own appointed way. Both these men had looked upon the face of deity. Paul had been caught up to the third heaven, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 through four, uh, 5. Joseph to the seventh heaven, and there heard things, things unlawful to be uttered which is recorded in Doctrine and Covenants, section 76, verse 15. Each was a divinely com commissioned preacher of the gospel at the opening of a new dispensation. And that's Orson F. Whitney, October, well, October 1912, page 70. All right. David O. McKay. The man's idea and the, uh, the significance of the word eternal progression will largely determine his philosophy in life. This great secret of human happiness lies in progression. Stagnation means death. The doctrine of eternal progression is fundamental in the Church of Christ. And that comes from David O. McKay, Pathways to Happiness, page 260. He also stated, Somebody has said, Show me a perfectly content man, and I will show you a useless one. So there must be some other element with contentment, some other virtue. What is it? Progress. Contentment and progress contribute to peace. If we are no better tomorrow than we are today, we are not very useful. So we want to experience two things, contentment and progress. Progress intellectually, progress physically, but above all, progress spiritually, and the cognizance that we grow contributes to peace. You cannot remain stationary. 
End quote, David O. McKay, Pathways to Happiness, page 192. James E. Talmadge. Advancement from grade to grade within any kingdom and from kingdom to kingdom will be provided for. Articles of Faith, 1st edition, page 420 and 421. Melvin J. Ballard. A man who goes to meeting and says long prayers and yet returns home to lose his temper and abuse his wife and berate berate his loved ones will never go into the kingdom of God until he learns to control his unruly temper. The very best of us will need need a probationary state to finish the work of preparation to go into the presence of the Father. If we do not do it here, just as sure as we live, we will have to do it hereafter. And many of us may lose the chance and opportunity of doing it hereafter. General Conference Report, October 7, 1917. There are no infant spirits born. They had a beginning ages before they came into this life. They appeared in infant bodies, but they were tested, proven souls. Therefore, I say to you that long before we, we came into this life, all groups and races of men existed as they exist today. Like attracts like. The races of today are very largely reaping the consequences of a previous life. And that comes from Brian S. Hinckley Sermons and Missionary Services of Melvin, Melvin J. Ballard, um, pages 247 and 248. John A. Witzow. Progress means moving forward from place to place, from knowledge to knowledge, from action to action. It is a process of adding to that which we now possess. By the elimination of errors, by the actual accretion of new truths, and by the development of greater self-mastery. It is a process by which increased power of every faculty is gained. It is a process of growth and development, a movement towards greater maturity. It is a steady approach to the likeness of God. Evidence and Reconciliations, page 179. There are they who so employ their time and talents properly, whether here or hereafter, increase in knowledge. That is the beginning of wisdom. There is no end to knowledge. What then is eternal progress? It is an eternity of active life increasing in all good things towards the likeliness likeness of the Lord. It is the highest conceivable form of growth. Those in lower kingdoms cannot overtake those in higher kingdoms. What may happen if the man with less power uses it steadily in the spirit of repentance through the eternal years is not known to man. That knowledge rests as yet in the bosom of God. 
Evidence and Reconciliation, pages 182 through 185. The essential thing is that man has to undergo experiences upon experiences. To attain the desired mastery of the external universe and that we of this earth are passing through an estate designed wholly for our further education. Throughout eternal life, increases knowledge, increasing knowledge is attained and with increasing knowledge comes the greater adaptation to law and in the end an increasingly greater joy. Therefore, it is that eternal life is the greatest gift of God if the great law of progression is accepted. God must have been engaged from the beginning and must now be engaged in progressive development as knowledge grew into greater knowledge by the persistent efforts of will, his rec recognition of universal laws became greater until he attained at last a conquest over the universe which to our finite understanding seems absolutely complete. John A. Witso, A Rational Theology, pages 30 and 31. As more knowledge and power are attained, growth becomes increasingly more rapid. God, exalted by his glorious intelligence, is moving on into fields, new fields of power within the rapidity of which we can have no conception. Whereas man, in a lower stage of development, moves relatively at the snake-like through the increasing pace. Man is nevertheless moving on in eternal progression. In short, man is God in embryo. He comes of a race of gods, and as this eternal growth is continued, we will approach more nearly the point which, which to us is godhood, and which is everlasting in its power over the elements of the universe. John A. Witso, A Rational Theology, pages 23 through 25. <clears throat> Delbert L. Stapley As sons and daughters of God, we are required to purify and perfect ourselves in righteousness, otherwise we cannot be with him nor enjoy eternal lives and glory in his kingdom. To become like God, we must possess the powers of Godhood. For such preparations, there are important covenants, obligations, and ordinances of mankind to receive beyond the requirements of baptism and all the laying on of hands for the reception of the Holy Ghost. Every person is to receive his or her endowments in the house of the Lord, which permitted permit them, yet faithful and true, to pass by the angels and stand as sentinels guarding the ways of eternal glory in the mansions of God. The everlasting covenant of marriage ordained of God for man and women also is to be entered into and the marriage contract sealed eternally 
by the authority of the holy priesthood of God. Otherwise, the highest degree of the celestial kingdom cannot be attained, nor godhood acquired, which exalted condition assures continuation of the lives forever. Conference Report, April 1961, page 66. Richard L. Evans Be straight and open and honest. Don't permit anything to get into your life's record that will not stand scrutiny under the searching light of day. If you do, it will raise, rise to plague you in the years to come, and your own thoughts will accuse you even when others do not. For we ourselves are the record of our eternal lives. And quote the spoken word from the Temple Square by Richard L. Evans, Improvement Era, 1945, September of 1945. Okay, so the next one that I'm going to come to is Hubie Brown, but I'm going to do another part because my voice box is killing me because I've been reading for, well, an hour this time and almost two hours last time. I think it's like an hour and 40-something minutes. So I'm going to take myself a little bit of a break, and I will start with Hubie Brown with part three of this chapter. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Take care. God bless, and goodbye.